1: Welcome to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. Every week, Josh will teach you ways to help manage, risk, and protect your retirement income in the new economy. The primary focus at Aptus Wealth is to provide flexible planning strategies that can efficiently achieve your long term retirement goals.
2: Besides every Saturday, you can also join Josh every Monday at 12.30 p.m. for Money Mondays with Bruce Hooley right here on 98.9 The Answer. And you can always find that recording at aptuswealth.com, which is Josh's website. To schedule an appointment to go through the Aptus Blueprint process with Josh, his phone number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Josh, we are a week away from Christmas. You must have all your shopping done, or, did, or does your wife do that?
3: Uh, well, I have to do some of my own shopping, obviously, but uh, I'm pretty good about that. Uh, it's taken me about 40 years to figure it out, but I got figure it figured out now, and I'm I'm relatively done. I think I might have one more to go. How about yourself?
2: Excellent. I'm I'm uh, already. The problem is, is I buy all year, but then by the time Christmas rolls around, I forget who I bought what for, and it's stuffed in the back of the closet. So I end up wasting quite a bit of money.
3: Yeah, me too. I I have stuff stashed everywhere. But I guess that's better than, uh, you know, running out New Year or Christmas Day or Christmas Eve, excuse me, trying to figure it out.
2: Yeah, there's not a lot of options at 7-Eleven when that's the only place that's open, right? The day before Christmas. (laughs) No, there is not. All right, let's get into your retirement. Let's talk about postponing retirement. What are the best reasons to delay it?
3: Well, there's some, I guess let's get into the the, uh, kind of mental aspects of delaying retirement. And there's a lot of anecdotal evidence. But it seems like that's being backed up by actual science here as of late uh, on the increased kind of cognitive function benefits of retiring later. And what I mean by that is, you know, we've all seen people who retire, they don't do much, and they seem to cognitively slip a little bit faster than people who stay busy. And for some people, staying busy is very, very easy. They have a lot of, ho- they have a lot of hobbies, things to keep their mind engaged. Um, so it's not an issue for them. But for others, sometimes their main form of interaction, their main form of mental challenge, their main form of just kind of staying as a part of the world is, in fact, their occupation. So, you know, there is a benefit to making sure you still stay intellectually engaged in something in delaying your retirement so again one of those questions I ask everybody is what are you gonna do when you retire because if you simply are just gonna sit around it's probably not the best thing for you but you know financially there's there's some other benefits obviously Um, there's cash flow benefits the longer you wait on Social Security for example we all know we've talked a lot about on this show the longer you wait to file for Social Security the more money every month you're gonna get Simply stated, if let's say you look at age 66 and that's your full retirement age, if you wait until you're 70, you get 32% more per month, every month, for the rest of your life out of Social Security. That's a significant cash flow increase. And then if you think about just the longer that you wait to retire, uh, the longer, and I know this is kind of an abysmal way to look at it, but the, the shorter retirement you'll end up having. And we all know that inflation this year has been quite significant, and inflation in planning and retirement is also a significant challenge. And the shorter the duration of your retirement, well, the less of an impact inflation will have because you won't have as much time. That's a terrible way to look at it, but at the same time, it's a a reality. So for a lot of people who have a lot of fears about, you know, am I going to have enough money to stay retired – uh, what's going to happen with inflation, et cetera, all the challenges that you face. If your retirement is looking like, your financial retirement's looking like, it's going to be pretty close, and I, I, I'm I'm really on the line, and I'm concerned about outliving my money, well, then simply waiting is a approach that buys you some more time. It buys you more growth in your investments. It buys you more cash flow. So I would say you know, twofold, very easy to look at would be, you know, that making sure you remain mentally engaged and then putting less strain or risk on your retirement in the long run.
2: Josh, let's say a person retires and then decides, yuck, I want to work. I don't like this retirement thing. I maybe lost their sense of purpose. How much does that affect their whole retirement and Social Security and all that kind of stuff?
3: I, I say this all the time. and And I think, you know, over time, this concept of retirement is going to kind of consistently change. The, the old ideology of I'm going to retire and sail off into the sunset and never do anything is being changed over the years. A lot of people feel trapped in their jobs. They want to get out. Uh, they don't like their job. They don't feel fulfilled. Uh, they want to get out, but they don't necessarily know what they want to do. They don't necessarily want to retire yet. They just know they don't want to keep on doing what they're doing, and hopefully they're in the financial position to be able to do that. Um, but like you said, oftentimes it happens almost it sneaks up on you. You think retirement's going to be great, but you find out it's not necessarily for you, at least not yet, and you go back to work. Um, or you find something to do. You find something to fill your time. And, and clearly, from a financial perspective, adding money back into the equation is always a good thing. But you know, I think what you're really pointing to is, uh, what does that look like? Is it challenging? As long as you've set yourself up financially, then you don't have to worry about your occupation paying your bills. So your occupation purely becomes a passion project. It becomes something that you enjoy. It becomes something that you want to do. You'd be surprised, and I hear it so many times from clients who have done this, how much better work is when they know they don't have to be there. They don't feel trapped. They don't feel locked. And they feel like they're going there because they want to. And that becomes almost inherently more fulfilling.
2: For those just joining us, this is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. To schedule your own planning session and to learn new strategies to manage risk, call Josh at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. So Josh, speaking about delaying retirement, what about the flip side? How often do people come to you thinking they will retire at a certain age only to learn that it might be much later?
3: This is very, very common. Uh, I think, you know, particularly in maybe older generations, the concept of 65 and I'm done. Uh, That's just the number that we've had in our head. That's when Medicare starts to pay. So we have health insurance availability. Um, That's when a lot of old pension plans, which most most of us do not have now, but old pension plans used to kind of uh, benchmark off of this is your payment amount when you turn 65. So I've seen a lot of people have this. Idea in their head that when I turn 65, I'm retired. But it's an idea, it's a dream, it's not necessarily a goal. They haven't necessarily done the planning or the sitting down and crunching numbers to see if that's a realistic availability of a thing to do. Or am I just going to kind of pull the ripcord and hope for the best, keep my fingers crossed? And uh, oftentimes I've seen people go, Well, I'm 65, I'm going to retire. And then they retire to find that they weren't financially ready. Um, similarly, I'll oftentimes hear people say, well, I'm, you know, when I hit 50, I'm going to retire. I'm, I'm a saver, and I'm saving aggressively, and I'm going to go into, quote, early retirement. Now, early retirement, albeit very possible for many, uh, particularly for disciplined savers, does have some challenges associated with it. Uh, think about the impact of inflation on a 40-year retirement. I mean, it's very possible that you could need twice as much or four times as much money by the time you die than you did when you started your retirement, if you retired that young. So is it possible? Absolutely. But what does it mean? We have to do even more planning. We have to do even more number crunching. We have to be even more specific and more diligent and disciplined. So what I see so many times is the, we don't call them dreams. People will talk about them like they have it all ironed out. I'm going to do it. This is exactly what I'm going to do. But when you start digging in, what have you done to make sure that that is what you're able to do? The wheels kind of fall off. They they really haven't. They just, they said it enough times that it became doctrine in their mind. Uh, so I would caution people, uh, ha- turn that dream into a goal. Sit down. C- call our office. Let's run through the numbers. Let's see if it is a possibility And if you're not on track, let's make sure that we make some tweaks and adjustments to get you back on track so that your dream becomes a reality.
2: And you take people through the Aptus Blueprint process. For those new listeners with us today, can you explain that entire process?
3: Yeah, essentially what we are doing is taking those hopes and dreams and turning them into a goal-based approach. So in uh, And it's a four-step process. In meeting one, uh, we call it the discovery meeting. We're going to find out what those hopes and dreams are. What are you currently doing to save for those? What do you have? What resources do you have available already? How much have you put in your 401k? Uh, how much do you have in those IRAs, savings accounts, et cetera? And then in meeting two, we simply analyze the data that you gave us. So if you keep doing what you're doing, is it a dream? Or has it been a goal all along, and your arrow's going to hit the target? And then what are some things that we could do to improve, whether that's speed up the process, eliminate taxes, uh, to some degree obviously it 's very difficult to eliminate all taxes for most, but how do we minimize those that that tax burden? How do we minimize risk to make sure that market fluctuation as so many people are concerned about heading into next year, are minimized as much as possible and then in meeting number three, which we call the blueprint meeting, we really lay out that blueprint of what changes can be made to improve your situation and then in not until meeting number four, this is a very you know, long-term journey that we're going to go on together. If it makes sense, we decide, is this something that we want to pursue together? And this is a mutually beneficial relationship. And do we want to, you know, go through the minutiae filling out paperwork and all that kind of stuff, uh, to, to formalize the relationship.
2: Do you, uh, insist that both, if, if it's a couple you're dealing with that both the husband and wife are there when you meet for the blueprint process? Mm-hmm.
3: I wouldn't say that we insist, but I'm very much in favor of that being the case. I think there's a lot of reasons why that is of significant advantage, you know, whether it's just getting everybody on the same page that leads to a a certainly a happier retirement or God forbid one of you, you know, dies significantly younger than the other. And that one that does die or passes on is the one that's been handling everything all along. That leaves the other person trying to figure it all out at the worst possible time. So the more that we can get everybody on the same page, the better. But that said, sometimes uh, that's just simply not feasible. And one person handles all the finances, and the other person doesn't want anything to do with it. And if that's the case, obviously we're not going to uproot that apple cart. We're going to do the best we can to help you under the confines that we're given.
2: How often do you find that couples have two different ideas of retirement when they come see you?
3: I would say you, you know, completely opposite, not that often. Not necessarily congruent, uh, very, very often, not necessarily in agreement uh, very often, meaning uh, one person wants to, wants to spend and go do this and do that, and the other person is terrified and doesn't want to leave the house because you know all the money could run out. That happens all the time, and that 's why it's so important to do planning because for that person who is in fear, the information and the analytical data and the, and the calculations don't lie. So it gives that person comfort in knowing it's okay. You can spend some money. This is why you saved your whole life so that you could enjoy retirement and not just quit your job. And for the other person who might be a little bit more of a spendthrift, the data does the same thing. And it tells that person they need to rein it in or their kind of ideological, it'll all work out attitude might not end up actually working out and they could find themselves in quite the lurch. So... Uh, it's good for both people, and it's good to get everybody on the same page.
2: And how often do you find that people think they're going to be okay in retirement, but all of a sudden they turn into someone who's stressed out and worried and doesn't want to spend anything once once they quit working?
3: Usually I can see that one coming. The one that's a little bit more difficult to see coming is the person who puts on that, that perfect mask of, I've been disciplined my whole life, and uh, I'm not a spender, and then they head into retirement and realize they spend three, four times the amount they thought they were going to in the first year, and you would say well that's not a big deal. you know maybe it's the first year, and uh, you know they're doing all the things they didn't want to do, but if that goes on for too long without revisiting it, that one anomaly becomes a habit, and the habits are hard to break if you're used to spending three or four times the amount that you had been in the past. It's very hard to rein it back in, and then that looks like a, a terrible retirement moving forward, almost like I've never been on a budget before, and now you're, you're, you're restricting me to a budget. So that's why it's so important that we meet with clients you know, at least twice a year to make sure that we're on track and we're not getting off the rails, not just so we don't run out of money, but so we don't develop bad habits that make us feel like we're living too constricted, and it's because we just let it get away from us a little too long. To schedule
2: an appointment to go through the Aptus Blueprint process, Josh's phone number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. And you can join Josh as he Talks Retirement with Bruce Hooley every Monday at 1230 p.m. right here on 98.9 The Answer. You can always find the recording at aptuswealth.com. More with Josh Pick when we come back.
1: We'll be back with more at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick at 98.9 The Answer.
4: 7300 or visit aptuswealth.com thanks for listening
1: to the aptus retirement blueprint radio show with josh pick to schedule your complimentary customized planning session give josh a call at 614-364-7300 that's 614-364-7300
2: Welcome back to the Apta's Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your own planning session and to learn new strategies to manage risk, give Josh a call. His phone number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Josh, Social Security is an integral piece of many retirement plans. Do you find that people often overestimate or underestimate just how much they get?
3: Well, it certainly is an integral part. Of uh, retirement plans and for most people you know Social Security oftentimes adds up to you know sometimes the lion's share of people's retirement but for almost everybody it's at least at minimum significant and I think you know Social Security is probably one of the most misunderstood income streams that we get and by misunderstood I mean there's so much kind of uh, ad hoc anecdotal answers out there that I hear all the time you know, well, this uh, my buddy at work told me I should do this, and this is what I'm going to do. Or social security is going to run out of money, so you might as well collect it whenever. Or I had heard this is the way all social security conversations tend to start, and I don't necessarily blame clients for that. With most governmental problem uh, programs, finding information can be rather convoluted. If you've ever been on, you know, the IRS website, for example, the IRS tax code. I had heard. I don't know if this is. Perfectly true, but it kind of puts it in perspective that if you were to stack up the IRS tax code uh, in pages the same size uh, of this book, it would be almost twice the size of the War of 1812. So if you think about, well, I just got to figure out the tax code, uh, it's quite an undertaking. Similarly, when we look at Social Security, if you go, well, I'll just hop on the website and do some reading, you'll quickly find that there are hundreds, if not thousands, of publications addressing all of these nuanced ways that you can file for social security or that affect you based upon your age or whether or not you have a pension or are you a surviving spouse or is your spouse still alive and what impacts do those have? Uh, So I, I don't fault clients entirely in that it's a pretty complicated program, even on the surface, even though on the surface you would think it would be, it shouldn't be that complicated. But I think you know the research is important. It can make a big difference. It can be incredibly detrimental if you file at the wrong time. I find that people don't understand exactly how their benefit is calculated. I find that people don't understand spousal benefits, the impact of uh, a, what we call windfall elimination provision if they have a pension, and uh, whether or not it's taxed. So there's there's a lot of things that can be miscalculated. And we can dive into all of those if we have time and feel free to ask ask away on whichever one you like. But I, I do find that people don't understand Social Security or they over or us, underestimate it all the time.
2: And here's the big thing for people to remember when it comes to Social Security. If you don't take it when you're supposed to, uh, what's the damage?
3: Well, let's say, for example, that you took it at age 62 because you believed that, you know, it's going to go away. I might as well get while the getting is good or I hear all these different types of things. So I take it at 62 while I'm still working and I'm making $50,000 a year. Well, there's an income offset prior to your full retirement age. So if you're only 62, and you make fifty grand a year, there's a good chance that all of your Social Security for that year will be taken back away from you anyway. Because anything over about $19,000, dollars a year in earned income, for every $2 you make above that, a dollar of Social Security is taken away. So you think that you were very smart in taking it at 62, when in turn all you did was create a huge paperwork nightmare because there's some process in that all kind of occurring. Uh, the other one would be, well, now I took it at 62, I'm getting 75% less than I would have gotten at age 66. And even uh, if I would have waited till 70, I'm getting 32% less than that at 66. So it's 32 plus 25. That's you know, it's less than half of what I would have gotten had I waited. And while for some, that might be a logical solution based upon you know your other asset sources, your other income sources uh your history of longevity, et etc et etc. For others, that is locking you into an income stream that might not be enough cash flow to supplement your other income sources for the rest of your life and once you've received twelve months worth of those payments, there is no going back and redoing it so Doing, you know, what is it, an ounce of uh, prevention is worth a pound of cure. Similarly, an ounce of research is worth a pound of trying to undo things uh, down the line. And Social Security is certainly one of those programs where you should do your research ahead of time before you file.
2: This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint show with Josh Pick. To schedule your own planning session with Josh, to learn new strategies to manage risk, give him a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614 614- 3647300. Let's talk about pensions, Josh. Should you take payments or a lump sum?
3: Oh, this is the million-dollar question. I get this one all the time. And unfortunately, like a lot of things in our world, the answer is it depends. But let's at least talk about what it depends on. The pension stream is nothing different than an annuity payment for the rest of your life that you cannot outlive. So the benefits to the pension stream are I'm never going to run out of it. It's going to Pay like clockwork every single month for the rest of my life, no matter how long I shall live and there's there's definitely other options usually available uh, when you select your pension, some of them that you'll see will be a joint with survivorship option, meaning if it's my pension and I die, my spouse continues to receive payments or at least a percentage of those payments for the rest of their life, or you'll see period certain options where it'll pay for at least a number of years regardless of whether or not. Uh, I pass away early because the fear with these pensions is always, if I get hit by a train tomorrow, then I worked my entire life to build up all of this money that then goes back to the company the day that I die. So there are ways to avoid that to some degree. But the downside to pensions are you do give up control and you do give up the ability to access large chunks of cash. So Let's use the most extreme example I can think of. I I lock into a pension making $2,000 a month. Um, I end up coming down with a terrible illness, and I need access to $100,000 to uh, get some sort of experimental treatment. Or even worse yet, I find out I'm terminally ill. I'd like to take a trip around the world, and uh, I'm just going to spend all of my money doing so. I don't have any beneficiaries. I want to enjoy life. Well, I'm locked into $2,000 a month. I'm not going to get the hundred grand, So I've given up control over the total asset that I once had control of. On the flip side, however, if I take the lump sum, the onus of generating those lifetime payments for the rest of my life is on me. I have to manage those investments. And I can certainly screw it up. And if I do manage those investments, even using realistic assumptions... Am I still worse off than what the pension company or the insurance company or what I believe to be my company, but it's usually an insurance company, is willing to pay me for the rest of my life? And then what does my longevity look like? Is this going to be uh, a good deal for me or does nobody in my family live past the age of 65 and I'm going to collect at 62? Uh, these all come into play. But the one that I think will start to shine or, or I guess maybe even rear its ugly head here moving forward and this does not apply to pensions through things like OPRS and STRS that have inflation adjustments, but for a lot of the private pensions, or most of the private pensions, there is no inflation adjustment on your pension payout. So what appears like uh, I'm getting this payment and it's great, it's going to replace my income that coupled with Social Security and I'm going to be great, looks fantastic today. Fast forward 20 years from now, and it might be not even remotely close to what you need to live off of because inflation has eroded the purchasing power. So to answer your question simply, it all depends on family history and longevity, your health, your ability to manage the assets, the disparity between what the company is willing to give you in a lump sum versus payments, and then how big of an impact You believe inflation will have and whether or not you want to control that. And as I said that, I just said answering simply. That doesn't sound so simple. I guess the simple answer would be contact our office and I'll run the numbers for you (laughs) and tell you you the best way to do it. But there is a calculation there. But don't – you know, it's a lifetime decision. Make sure you spend some time thinking about it.
2: Well, and I was going to say you can look at people's pension plans and see how they are.
3: We do it all the time, and I've seen, you know, I guess fortunately or unfortunately, there's not too many of them in Columbus, Ohio, or, or around the country for that matter anymore. Uh, I think only about 10% of, of employees these days have a pension uh, that don't work for the federal or state government. So when it comes to the state governments, we've seen them all. When it comes to firefighters, uh, police officers, the state of Ohio, we, we've seen those repetitively. So we know them very, very well, and we can help guide you through that process.
2: So you can analyze the pension plan and tell a person, Look, this is not in your best interest. And do they have an option of a buyout? That's only if the employer offers it, correct? Or a payout yeah, a lump, one, lump, one lump sum. Yeah,
3: and I would say more often than not, the ones that I encounter, there is an option for that lump sum buyout. If you want to kind of get an inclination as to you know, what direction do we go, I would say a good at least two thirds of the time taking the pension is the right decision for most. But there is a significant, uh, you know, I would say a third of the time is significant enough uh, when it makes a big difference. It's worth doing the math. It's absolutely worth it.
2: Have you seen poorly managed pension funds?
3: Not so much anymore. But if we rewind the clock back to 20, uh, 15, 20 years ago, there were a lot of them. Fortunately, uh, pension fund regulation has gotten more and more strict over time and just Simply the volume of pension funds that are out there has gone by the wayside so much that the ones that remain, for the most part, at least in Ohio, are very well run. There are other areas of the country, other state governments that are not nearly as well run as Ohio, but Ohio is pretty strong. I
2: remember being younger and when you worked for an employer and they're like, we have a benefits package and and benefits and you're just so young, you don't care. You're like, whatever, how much money is it? Now, as you get older, you're like, okay, what are the benefit package? That seems more important sometimes than the the amount because if there's a pension, that's pretty attractive nowadays
3: for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, 401k matches, pensions, health insurance, all that stuff really starts to rise to the top the older you get, doesn't it? for sure to
2: schedule an appointment with josh to go through the Aptis blueprint process josh's phone number is 614-364-7300 that is 614-364-7300 and just to mention you can always join josh as he talks retirement with bruce hooley every monday at 12 30 p.m right here on 98.9 the answer that is besides this show every week The recording you can always find at aptuswealth.com. That's a p t u s wealth.com. More with Josh Pick when we come back.
1: We'll be back with more at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick at 989 The Answer. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614 364 7300. That's 614-364-7300. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh
2: Pick. To schedule your own planning session and to learn new strategies to manage risk, call Josh at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Josh, Santa has his list. He's checking it twice before next week. What items should we take care of on our list before the end of the calendar year, specifically when it comes to taxes?
3: Couple of things. One, HSA contributions. Make sure that if you have that available, and HSA is a health savings account, there's a threshold for individuals and family, and you can put money in pre-tax. It grows tax-deferred, and as long as you use those funds for the purposes of health care, the money comes out tax-free. But the benefit to a health savings account is you can invest those dollars much like a 401k. Make sure you get those contributions in if you qualify. And one would ask, how do you qualify? You have to have a high-deductible health insurance plan, which in the past might have been a little bit more difficult than today, where almost everybody has a high-deductible health care plan. But you know, do some research, find out if yours applies, and uh, think about contributing to an HSA. If your employer does not have one, that does not preclude you from being able to do one. There are plenty of private HSAs. Just Google HSAs uh, online and you'll find a whole host of uh, available programs out there. Um, The other one would be gifts. You know, now's a great time of the year to not only give gifts to, uh, you know, friends and family, but think about giving to charities, churches, whoever you like to donate to every year. Make sure you get those donations in before the end of the year so you have the availability of the tax deduction. If you own a small business, Give those donations from the small business. If you're an individual, obviously, uh, you don't have that choice. But make sure you make your gifts before the end of the year. Last one on a contributory basis, and then we'll get to some of the ways that you can reduce your tax bill through your investments, would be a 529 plan. 529 plan is the governmental plan. state-run, so find the one that's running your state. In the state of Ohio, it's called College Advantage. That does not mean you can't do a 529 in any other company. You could go to TD Ameritrade or American Funds or any of the different companies out there to do a 529. But the only one that gives you the tax deductibility at the state level is College Advantage in the state of Ohio. If you're listening online and you hear this in a different state, make sure you Google what your state-sponsored program is. But 529 plans, just like HSAs, you put in money, it grows tax-deferred. You don't get the tax benefit of the contribution up front at the federal level, but at the state level you do so it does reduce your state tax burden you put money in it grows tax deferred and as long as those funds are used for the purposes of higher education then the money comes out tax free and you do get to invest that any way you choose one thing to note there if you have multiple children or you're gifting to grandkids uh or you know you're you're gifting to whomever maybe you have a a friend that just had a child and you go this this kid's going to get a 1,001 gifts. What can I give them that would be more beneficial than, than maybe an, another onesie or a, another toy? Uh, you can make a 529 contribution for anybody and still get the state income tax deduction. And then that money is assigned to them. You are the owner of that money. They are the beneficiary. So in the event that they decide they don't want to go to college, you can either give them the money. Or you could reassign the beneficiary to somebody else who does go to college. That could be you or anybody else. So one of the benefits of the 529 is you still very much control those dollars. You are not giving them away.
2: And what if you decide the kid's a brat, I want the money back, period? Then you just have to pay taxes on that money.
3: It's your money. Yeah, you, you, there's, there's obviously some hurdles to get through to get it out of there in the way of taxes and potential uh, penalties because you're not using it for higher education, but nevertheless, you are in control of those dollars. So you can reassign them to somebody else or just pull the ripcord and say, thanks, but no thanks, you don't get this money. Lastly, and this is one that's drastically overlooked and and obviously more difficult as most people invest in mutual funds, but if you invest in separately managed accounts or you have a stock portfolio or an ETF portfolio for that matter, looking at what we call tax harvesting is... is uh, is something that can become very valuable and it's something that you need to do before the end of the year. And the concept of tax harvesting is just this. Let's say you had a great year in one stock position, but you'd love to lower that position because it's just grown so much that it's too much of your portfolio or whatever the reason might be. You just want to lower the position that you have in that that stock. And then you have this other stock that quite frankly has been kind of a dog. And you don't necessarily want to keep that one either. But that one is you know been a loss you you've lost money on that one you can sell the loss and offset the gain and effectively be able to sell that appreciated stock at no tax consequence to you now there's some hurdles and some hiccups you have to look at there with with thresholds and the amount that you can do on both sides but the point is actively managing your portfolio not just for gain but also for minimizing taxes as much as possible and those trades will have to be executed before the end of the year or they'll fall on next year's tax return, not this year. So those four items are pretty timely to get in before the end of the year. IRA contributions, stuff like that, you have all the way until April 15th the following year. But those four, you have to do this year.
2: I like your comment about what to give kids if you don't want to give a toy or another onesie or or clothes. Are there any other things you can do to help their financial future?
3: Yeah, you know, we were talking uh, about a great idea that you did, as a matter of fact, uh, before we started the show today. and, And that is, you know, how do we... Start our kids off, or our, our nieces and nephews, or godchildren, or whoever it might be. How do we? The, the goal is always how do we start them off on the right path? And there's two ways to do that: one, just give them money, and two, set them on a path of understanding the importance of investing. And you had a great idea. Um, you know, I, I was bringing up ideas like contributing to, you know, an account of buying stocks or or five twenty nine, or if they have earned income, you can even do a Roth IRA. But you said that you actually purchase a share of a company and frame it. And the benefit to that is not only do they have the share of the company, but it also is kind of like, you know, it's a little more tactile and a little harder to sell. I mean, you're going to have to, you know, open up the frame, take it out of the frame, say, well, I guess, you know, I don't want this anymore and and heck with Diane and I'm just going to sell the stock. But it also is a constant reminder when you walk past it, look at that, I have an investment hey, mom, dad, what is an investment as kids get older, and, and why are these shares worth anything? And then at least starting the dialogue of investing. I think that's not only, you know, depending upon what the shares look like, if you get the actual shares, they could be a cool little piece of artwork. But They are, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's hard to actually get physical shares these days, so you got to jump through more hurdles to do that. But uh, they're cool-looking on the wall. It's a good conversation piece. And it starts that dialogue of saving, investing, compound interest, uh, the power of getting ahead, all the things that we talk about on the show can literally be triggered by just that thing on the wall. So I think that's a great idea and it's something I'll talk to to others about so look at you go
2: a lot of kids get money too and i always find my friends are like well they bought a power what do you call it playstation how how out of touch am i okay
3: <laughs> our no, producers laughing at me right now. you know i mean that's what my kids get when you look at family members they go what can i get your kids well i have a soon to be 16 year old and a 13 year old and then a, a four year old is much easier to buy for but you know what do you what do you get a 13 and a 16 year old i mean what do you, i don't know what, I, I don't even know what to get them and they're my kids so you end up giving them money and what do they buy with the money nonsense. So if you're going to give them money, uh, maybe give them half and invest the other half in something because it's not going to be there in six months if you just give it to them, unless they're, you know, fortunately I have some pretty good savers, but most kids aren't that way. So I I really like the idea of giving investments.
2: Well, I think the onus is on the parents to make them make sure that instead of saying, okay, you have $500 in your account, you can go spend it on this toy or this game thing. uh, Isn't it up to the parents to say, no, now you have only four hundred because you're saving a hundred of it.
3: Well, it certainly is, but the you know harsh reality is most parents aren't that good at investing either. You know, if you look statistically, half the country isn't saving, uh, so that doesn't matter. It's uh, you know regardless of age. So sometimes they don't have that parental influence. So having, and you know, Diane, I know you don't have any kids, but uh, that I know uh, I of. do. Uh, yeah, well, fair enough. <laughs> I, I would hope you would know, <laughs> but nevertheless. You know, parents don't listen to, or kids don't listen to their parents. It, it, it always amazes me how I can tell my kids something 107 times. And then one of my friends will come up and say the same thing. And they go, you're never going to believe what, 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 you know, Mark told me the other day. and I, I, I've i told you that 150 times, they don't listen to their parents. So sometimes receiving that investment from an outside source, or that advice from an outside source is almost more impactful than the 115 times that you tell them yourself. So you can actually make a pretty significant impact on someone else's kids' lives by doing that.
2: This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your own planning session and to learn new strategies to manage risk, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Josh, I know everyone is different, but in your experience, what kinds of health care can end up being the biggest financial burden for people in retirement?
3: Uh, The ones they don't see coming. And by that, I mean, typically, people will do a very good job of planning for you know, copays, planning for pharmaceutical costs, et cetera. What they don't see coming are the big ones, like unforeseen surgeries, accidents, long-term care. And unfortunately, when people are planning for you know, and I'll speak specifically of health care and retirement because it's easy to explain that way. When you get to retirement, you have Medicare available to you and, you, and Medicare covers a lot of things, but there's certainly a lot of gaps, and those gaps could hurt a lot. You know, think of you know, you're on the hook for 20% of XYZ plus you know, an out-of-pocket dollar amount, et cetera, et cetera, or a family, or fortunately, or, you know, quite frankly, just doesn't cover something. Well, if you don't get a supplement or you don't get a Medigap program is what they used to be called or Medicare Advantage or however you're going to fill that void, Uh, Because you go, ah, I'm perfectly healthy, and I don't have any issues, so I'm just not going to get that. And then something happens. That's where people get caught with these out-of-pocket, and atrociously expensive things. Uh, So I always recommend that people, to some capacity, get a Medicare supplement or Medicare Advantage plan so that they have that at bay. And similarly, the same thing happens when you look at Medicare. It's not going to cover your dental and vision. And people go, ah, I've never really had any problems with dental and vision, so I'm not going to get any dental insurance. And then all of a sudden, you know, we need a three or four thousand dollar implant, and uh, that gets away from us very quickly. And I say three or four four thousand; it's probably a heck of a lot more than that now. I've had one implant; I think it was three thousand. That was twenty years ago, so I'm sure that's probably you know six or ten thousand dollars. So you can see how these numbers get get away from you pretty quickly. And then you know the last one that nobody wants to talk about, and nobody wants to plan for. And I understand why. It's, it's an abysmal, terrible conversation is the prospect of long-term care. But the reality is everybody listening today, there's about a coin flip shot that all of us are going to end up at some point for some period of time in assisted living, long-term care, some sort of uh, help-based housing environment.
2: And let's give everyone the shocking number of how much that can cost a year.
3: Well, I mean, that can range from anywhere from the lowest end of assisted living of just a few thousand dollars a month all the way up to the high end of, you know, we're looking at six-figure numbers very, very easily. And then if you want to stay at home and you don't want to go to the facility and you want round-the-clock care, can imagine how significant those numbers can get. Imagine employing you know, three nurses to work for you around the clock at your own home. And these numbers can, can screen out of control. But everybody obviously would prefer to stay at home. So, you know, you have kind of everywhere everywhere in the middle. And knowing that there's a coin flip shot of you going in for some period of time, I would say it at least bears uh, the conversation of planning for it. And that does not necessarily mean that your plan should include a huge, uh, you know, long-term care policy. It does not mean that you should put all your money in trust, et cetera. What it does mean is that you should at least put some effort into conversation over what would that look like let's let's do a dry run through it and say what would my assets look like if that occurred and then how much can i afford to or do i want to fill that void with and what can i do what's the most economical way for me to protect my loved ones protect myself but not at the cost of eroding my retirement by spending all my money trying to plan for something that may or may not happen uh but that can quickly get away. It can wreck families. It can leave a surviving spouse in a very bad predicament, and you need to at least take the time to plan for it.
2: Josh's number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. More with Josh
4: Pick when we come back. 7,300 or visit AptisWealth.com. Thanks for listening to the Aptis Retirement Blueprint radio show with Josh Pick.
1: To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300.
2: Welcome back to the Aptis Retirement Blueprint show with Josh Pick. To schedule your own planning session and to learn new strategies to manage risk, Call Josh at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Josh, a lot of people are hoarding cash because of prevailing fears of another COVID crash. What can diligent savers do with their growing piles of money so inflation doesn't eat it all away?
3: Yeah, I hear this a lot. And it comes down to people trying to time or people just being terrified. And I'll put them into two separate categories. The terrified is I know that things are going to get bad, so I'm going to stockpile cash because at least I have cash. But the downside of that is just what you said. Inflation is at a 40-year high. Your cash is literally being eroded by inflation. So having that cash really doesn't do you a whole heck of a lot of good other than maybe peace of mind. But the question always becomes, what's the threshold of peace of mind? And I would say, you know, general rule of thumb is have six months worth of emergency cash Plus any unforeseen ex- or any expenses that you foresee occurring in the next 12 months. So if you know you're going to buy a car and you'd like to pay cash, obviously have that set aside, vacations, you know home improvements, et cetera. But when you start careening past a year worth of emergency plus all those things, I think we're probably getting a little bit exorbitant. Um, And, you know, what can you do with that money? Well, the fear is I don't want to put money in the market because we're at these all-time highs and I just know it's going to crash. So I'll usually get one of two responses. Um, I don't trust the market or I'm going to wait until the market tanks and then I'm going to invest in the market. The problem is, one, you probably won't pick that timing right. And two, I've been hearing that exact same thing for the last three or four years. Because remember, typically, every six to eight years, there's some sort of market correction. Well, the market's done nothing but going up for t- since 2009. So since 2009, shy of the COVID bubble, of course, which was very short-lived, since 2009, and we're entering into 2022, which now we're at 13 years later, the market's done nothing but go up. So you've sacrificed over the last four years, uh, depending upon how invested, maybe even doubling your money over the last four years. So That ideology of I'm going to wait certainly hasn't served you well. So there's a couple things we can do depending upon your tolerance of risk and the amount of time that you have available. Uh, Number one would be once you have that 12 months worth of reserves and all of your future expenditures covered, at least in the immediate future, pay down your debt with it. If you don't feel comfortable going into the market, let's at least improve your situation. You're earning essentially nothing with your money in a savings account. Your debt position is certainly costing you something, so let's lower your debt position. Whether that's pay down your home, or I'm assuming that at this point if you have that much cash, you don't have credit card debt, maybe it's pay off a car, let's get your monthly income requirement as low as possible with that money. Secondly would be, um, unless you have some very specific goal, meaning... I am going to buy investment real estate over the next two years, and I am building up this cash position, unless you have a specific investment plan, I'm going to start a business with this money, and I'm still $10,000 short. If you don't have a plan, dollar cost average and invest into the market. And the retort to that that's going to be, why would I do that? What if I put it in now and the market goes down? I hate to break the news to you, but the market's going to go down for the remainder of your life probably several times. Time in the market in the long run is your best idea. It is your best plan. It has proven to be the best strategy in the long run. So for anything over the amounts that we've talked about, once you've paid down your debt, start dollar cost averaging into the market. Pick good investments and just know that it's long-term investments. If you're not comfortable with the market at all, then let's look at other investments that do not give you market exposure, but that are better than cash and are better long-term investments that will serve your needs far better than just sitting and being eroded by inflation. So again, don't save too much into a cash position and let it erode by inflation. Two, pay off debt and then come up with an actual plan rather than just living in fear and watching it go down the tubes to inflation.
2: This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your own planning session and to learn new strategies to manage risk, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Josh, speaking of the dreaded I-word, what are some previously time-tested, trusted strategies that we can toss out the window with inflation roaring back?
3: So the I word, inflation, you know, the the old approach to retirement investing over the last, let's just say 40 years or so, has been as I get older and older, or closer and closer to retirement, I start to tear back the risk in my portfolio, because I need to limit volatility. And by limit volatility, that means that I need to slow down the amount of bounciness, uh, of my money in retirement by you know the fluctuation in the market because I recognize that I'm going to need to live off of this money. And if I'm pulling money out when the market's down 30%, that can have a catastrophic effect in the long run. But I also recognize that I have to have some of my money exposed to the market or I won't be able to battle the long-term effects of inflation. And the way that people did that was as time went on, they took money out of the stock market and they started putting it in increasing percentages into the bond market. Now, the problem with the bond market is the bond is essentially debt. So when a company wants to borrow money to grow its its plans or whatever it's trying to fund, rather than going to the bank, they go to investors. And the benefit of going to investors is if they can't pay back the loan, well, then investors are out of money, but the bank isn't leaning that Uh, you know, whether it's equipment or whatever, there's no lien on that loan. So it's a more advantageous way to borrow money. And for investors, it's great because they get typically really good lenders to give them money at above bank rates, uh, rather than putting it in like a CD or something like that, they're getting a better rate. The problem with that though, is interest rates and bonds are inversely proportional. So as interest rates go down, bonds go up, which is great. And for the last 40 years, not only have interest rates been pretty significant, meaning if I owned a bond, maybe I was earning 4 or 5 or 6%, but as interest rates were falling, I was actually getting an appreciation on top of that out of my bonds. And there's many periods I can look at over the last 20 years where bonds actually outperformed the stock market over certain periods of time. And I'm not talking about short periods of time. I'm talking about, think of like from 2000 to 2019, for example, if you had money invested in bonds, you actually did better uh, than the S&P 500. However, the flip side is true. As interest rates go up, bonds go down. So let's think about where we are today. If you bought a bond today, you'd be earning very low interest because interest rates are so low. So let's say you bought a bond that's paying 2 or maybe 3%. If interest rates go up, you're actually going to you're going earn even less than that. If interest rates stay the same, you're rewarded with 2 or 3%. Well, we just got done saying earlier in the show that inflation has been upwards of 6 7% over the last 12 months. So you're only earning maybe a third of what inflation is doing. So that approach of, as I uh, get older and older and closer and closer to retirement, I'm gonna put more and more money into bonds, is kind of a losing approach. And the theory was, as long as I do that and I pull out 4% or less, then I should be good for the remainder of my retirement. And the reality is, that not only do we have an inflation challenge, but we have an interest rate challenge. So you asked me, uh, that was a long you know, back story on how do we uh, handle the inflation thing, and what do we toss out the window? Well, that old 60-40, 60% stocks, 40% bonds, or insert whatever kind of old ideology there was, we have to throw that out the window. That's not probably going to work moving forward. We might get lucky, but you know the tea leaves aren't pointing in that direction. So what can we do? We have to continue to invest in the market. However, we need to add stability. So we have to look at things that are gonna add stability with higher ability to earn money than bonds. Think of things like insurance vehicles, deferred annuities, um, inflation-protected securities as opposed to standard bonds. Um, Thinking about maybe cryptocurrency and gold and currency alternatives. We have to build a better approach that will work in the low interest rate, high inflationary environment that it looks like we're going to be stuck in for a while. So I highly encourage everybody to contact our office and we'll walk you through a better approach that people have used in the past in situations like this, maybe with a little bit of splash of new things in it, but like cryptocurrency, which obviously didn't exist back in the 50s. But how did people in the 40s, 50s, and 60s survive the environment that looks like we're going to be entering into now in the
2: 2020s, Josh. Historically, periods of inflation—how long do they last?
3: Well, they can be quite long, but you know, there's there's a bunch of different ways that you know interest rates can affect us as well. Um, so there's been times where inflation has you know gone for a uh, better part of a decade, if not longer. I mean, think of the 80s, for example. But there's also been times when interest rates, which again, remember, that's kind of the secondary force here that that are going to impact people in retirement, where interest rates have gone steadily up, maybe not you know, as, as rapidly as you saw in the 80s. But if you look at uh, steadily increasing environments like, let's say, 1950 to 1960, interest rates were gradually increasing. And we saw a time period there where the 10-year Treasury returned less than 2% on an average annual yield over the full decade. So if you think about a time period where inflation is at 6% and you're earning 2 uh, that doesn't work and then potentially insert in, and I I hate to make this sound negative, but you have a lot of challenges facing you, potentially insert in that we're coming off of the longest bull run in the stock market in history. Let's assume that you retire in the next two years, and three things happen. Inflation is higher than it's been in 40 years. Interest rates are the lowest they've ever been. Interest rates start climbing, so bonds are not a safe place to run. And then we have a market correction because we've been in the longest bull run in history. You can enter into retirement with... A terrible perfect storm and if you're not prepared for it that one year could effectively crush your retirement or change it drastically for the rest of your life so you need to be prepared you need to have your portfolio or your retirement plan uh, you need to have all the, the, the i's dotted and the t's crossed and you need to make sure that you have provisions in place to mitigate those risk levels to make sure that you that you know it goes the way that you want it to go
2: Josh's number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. That's it for today. Thanks, everyone, so much for joining us. We'll be back next week.
1: You've been listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint radio show with host Josh Pick. Josh helps guide his clients through retirement by managing risk instead of chasing returns. He calls it a blueprint, and you can get started at no cost or obligation. Give the team at Aptus Wealth a call today to schedule your consultation at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Or online at AptusWealth.com. That's A-P-T-U-S wealth.com. To learn strategies to manage risk in the new economy, join us again next weekend right here at 98.9 The Answer.